Welcome to Through the Bible with Pastor Michael, a podcast from First Baptist Church in Mustang, Oklahoma. Here's Pastor Michael. Today we are in February day 14 as we cover Acts 16, 17, and 18. Five observations from our reading today. Number one, Timothy joins Paul and Silas and the church increased daily. Uh, Aren't you encouraged uh, as we read through the book of Acts to see how many times the scripture points out that the church was strengthened and that the church uh, increased? We see this in chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Uh, It's such an encouragement to me to see how the Lord builds his church. He promised to do that and he has faithfully done that in the past and continues to do so today. Number two, Paul and Silas worship while in prison. Chapter 16, verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. It's really a a pretty remarkable thing to think about. Here are uh, God's people who have given of their life now at this point to travel to preach the gospel, uh, to to do the work of evangelism, and they find themselves in prison. And, and it would be very tempting to say, man, the, the, the Lord's made a mistake here. Uh, why in the world would you have such bold witnesses for Christ locked up? Uh, it seems like, in, in first glance, that either... Um, God has neglected them, or that God's plan is just not a good one. I mean, why in the world would you take, you know, your your best preachers, your best evangelists, those who are willing to travel uh, all around to do the work of evangelism? Why would you allow them to be locked up in prison? But what we see is that God's plan is best, no matter what. Even when we don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Um, God had a reason, God had a purpose for Paul and Silas being in jail. And it's also very encouraging to think about this, that the, the purpose of Paul and Silas's life, their ultimate purpose is to bring glory to God. That's their ultimate purpose. And whether they are uh, preaching, whether they are reasoning with the people in town, uh, or whether they are in jail, their purpose is unchanged. Their purpose is still to bring glory to God. And whether that results in one person being saved or a thousand people being saved, or whether that results in um, what seems like nothing is happening, here's what we know. God is always at work. And our responsibility is to just do what God has called us to do, namely, live our life in a way that glorifies the name of Christ. And so for Paul and Silas, whether they are free men out able to preach, they're going to bring glory to Christ. Whether they are talking to large groups or small groups, they're going to bring glory to Christ. Or whether they are uh, in jail, they're going to strive to be bringing glory to Christ either way. And so it's midnight, they're in jail. What can you do? Well, you can pray and you can worship. And that's exactly what they're doing. And the text tells us specifically that the prisoners were listening to them. 
men who otherwise would not have heard the gospel message. So the Lord knew what he was doing. Even when at first glance it may seem like this makes no sense. The Lord knew what he was doing. That's true in your life today too. There may be things and you say, Lord, this just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you're allowing this. I don't know why uh, the circumstance of my life can't change. The Lord knows what he's doing. Uh, and so just do what God called you to do, created you to do, and that's to bring glory to him uh, no matter where you are. Number three, the Lord created all things, established the nation's boundaries, set up and brought down kingdoms, and set a day of judgment. Chapter 17 is such a, a clear reminder of the sovereignty of God. Um, look at the scripture here. The Lord created all things. Chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. He established the nation's boundaries. Verse 26 says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. It reminds me also of Daniel 2, verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So back to Acts 17. The Lord created all things, that's verse 24, established the nation's boundaries, that's verse 26, set up and brought down kingdoms, also verse 26, as well as Daniel 2, and has set a day of judgment. That's verse 31. It says, He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And so what you take away in, Psalm 7, in, in um, Acts 17 is this clear picture that the Lord created, established, set up nations, brought down kingdoms, and has set a day of judgment. In other words, the God that we serve is the God who is sovereign over all things. And so what that means for us is two things. One, complete submission. And two, complete rest. Complete submission to what He says, to what He wills, to what He um, has commanded because He is the sovereign God who commanded, who created, uh, and who will call all things to their appointed end. But it's not only complete submission, it's also complete rest, complete trust, that the God who has created all things, who has established even the nation's boundaries, has fixed a day of judgment, and He will make all things right. So complete submission and complete rest. Number four, as Paul preached, some mocked, some wanted more information, and some believed. We see this at the very end of chapter 17, verse 32. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. There's one response. But others said, we will hear you again about this. There's a second response. But some men joined him and believed. There's a third response. Some mocked, some wanted to keep talking, and some believed. Same thing happens when you share the gospel. Some may laugh, some may want to keep talking, and some repent and believe. Don't be discouraged by other people's response to the gospel. Stay faithful to call them to repent. And, and by the way, that's exactly what it tells us in verse 
uh, 30. He now commands all people everywhere to repent. This is our message. Let Again, as, as we keep saying, be compassionate, be kind, um, be loving, but absolutely be bold and be clear that the only gospel message believers have is a message that calls people to repent. No repentance, no gospel. No repentance, um, no, no biblical preaching has taken place. And when you say, what authority do we have to call someone to repent? Here it is, chapter 17 of Acts, verse 31. He commands all people everywhere to repent. Wherever you are, you are in a city, you are in a town where people are commanded to repent, to turn from their sin, and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, we should be compassionate, and we should be loving, and we should seek to to serve others, absolutely. But, but we're not calling people to just simply look at our lives and think we're benevolent. This is the problem when Christians stop being clear on repentance. When we have this idea that we don't have to call people to repent, then what the gospel becomes is just be nice, be kind, be benevolent, and just leave it at that. And the problem is, if we do that, even if people like you, and even if people have high respect for you, their admiration is going to to terminate on you. They're going to say, wow, he's such a great worker. He's such a nice person. He's such a uh, a gracious neighbor. He's such a good father. He's such a, a loving husband. And if we don't open our mouths, and if we don't talk about repentance, if our thought is, let's only, only show people that we're loving and compassionate, that's all that we do, then what happens are people who see our actions may be impressed by you, but they've never heard a biblical call to repentance. Now, the flip side of that's true, too. If, if we're out talking about repentance and sin, and we're not loving people, we're not gracious, if our lives don't back up the gospel we preach, then the people are going to see a real disconnect, and, and that's going to be a problem for sure. But what we see in the book of Acts, and, and all throughout the scripture, is that it's not either or, it's both and. Loving, compassionate, gracious people, absolutely. Boldly commanding people to repent. This is what the gospel calls us to do. And if you take kindness and compassion and love and grace and strip from that a call to repentance, then all that you have is a desire for people to think highly of us. If you have people who are clear on sin and clear on judgment and clear on repentance, but we don't love people and we're not gracious and kind, then our lives betray our message. So what we want to do is seek in all ways to be compassionate, servant-minded people who clearly command all people to repent because that's what the book of Acts tells us that God has commanded all people everywhere to repent. And then number five, Priscilla and Aquila helped Apollos learn a more precise theology. He was sincere. He was making proclamation, but he needed a more precise theology. 
And so he had people who took an interest in him, pulled him aside, taught him, trained him, and helped him. So real quick, five applications today. Number one, uh, we pray for God to open the hearts of people. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. If you want a scripture to guide your prayers today for people who need to know Christ, Acts 16, verse 14, says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Before you teach your discipleship class, before you teach your Sunday school class with your children, before you preach a sermon this Sunday, whatever it may be, pray for the Lord to open the hearts of people that they would be inclined to listen to the word being taught. Number two, worshiping through trials is a powerful witness. Uh, Again, chapter 16, as we've already looked at in verse 25, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 30, then they brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Who would have thought that, that the prison would become um, a, a revival? Who would have thought that a, a prison sentence would become uh, the location for their, their ministry? But again, uh, the Lord knows what He's doing. And worshiping through trials can be a powerful witness to the world around you. Number three, we are to reason with unbelievers and explain the gospel. Chapter 17, Paul went in, as was his custom, and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Verse 3, explaining and proving. Um, We as believers need to reason with with people. Uh, 1 Peter 3 says, Always set apart Christ Jesus in your hearts as Lord, and be ready to give an answer for the joy that is within you to give a defense, to give an explanation, to reason with people why you believe the scriptures, why you trust in the Lord, how he has saved you, how they can come to know grace, what their response to the gospel must be. Number four, believing Genesis 1 matters. Chapter 17, verse 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live. The Bible writers took Genesis 1 seriously and took it literally. Jesus did. Paul did. We see the teaching here in the book of Acts that Genesis 1 matters. As believers, don't be um, ambivalent or embarrassed or ashamed of of Genesis. Uh, It's a part of the gospel and, and it matters. Number five, boldness is good, but accuracy is essential. Chapter 18, we meet Apollos, and it says um, in verse 26, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It's great to be bold, but we need to be correct. It's great to be courageous, but we need to be precise. Now, no one has everything perfectly mastered. And so when you teach your children's Sunday school class, when you teach your adult Bible study, uh, when you preach to your congregation, um, it's not the requirement is that we have to have everything perfect. We're all still learning. We're all still growing. But we do want to seek 
to be students of the Word and always seeking to become more clear, more precise, more biblical in our theology, in our doctrine, and in our teaching. Uh, Boldness is good, but it's also essential to be accurate and to be right. Um, That's what chapter 18 tells us. Uh, And that's a good word for us to consider. And then finally, a summary from Proverbs 12, 1 to 14. Uh, And since this is February day 14th, Valentine's Day, uh, only fitting uh, that we would read in Proverbs 12, verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Uh, It is not God's will for every person to be married. There are people like Paul um, who are doing great ministry, who are not married. And if that's the Lord's will, then that's great. Rest in that. The Lord knows what he's doing with your life. But for those who are married, as Proverbs 12 reminds us, I would just summarize it this way, very short and succinct. A godly wife is a great blessing from the Lord. If you are a wife uh, and you want to be a great blessing, then be the most godly wife you can be. If you're looking for a wife, look for a wife who is, as Proverbs 12 says, your crown, your blessing, your joy. If you're married as a husband, uh, love your wife, serve your wife, lead your wife in such a way that she wants to respect you and she wants to follow your leadership. Uh, Husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And wives ought to follow their husband's leadership um, and be a joy and a crown for him. A godly wife is an amazing blessing from the Lord. All right, enjoy the reading today and hope that you're blessed as you seek to be bold, courageous, precise, and accurate and to glorify God whatever you may face today. Enjoy your study.